Welcome to Let's Talk About LTC with PCA Pharmacy, hosted by Rob Luffler and Mark Keene. Today is March 12th, 2021. It's been around a year since the landscape of long-term care changed, perhaps forever. I'm Rob Luffler. Mark Keene took this monumental milestone as an opportunity to sit down with leadership for long-term care associations in Kentucky and Iowa yesterday on March 11th. Let's listen as they talk about the many ways COVID has affected long-term care and their vision of what's to come. Welcome everybody to this uh, virtual catch up with PCA Pharmacy. We are very uh, lucky to have Betsy Johnson, the president of the Kentucky Association of Healthcare Facilities and Brent Willett, the president of the Iowa Healthcare Association join us today. Um, I tell you what, I don't even really know where to start. We're give or take what a year since uh, we got into the front end of the pandemic that really, you know, for all intents and purposes was, you know, decimated the industry. Um, but it seems like things are active in a good way. Um, as we sit here today, are you both feeling a sense of optimism? That's I know I, I know I am. Um, in fact, Mark, um, I was just texting with um, the association staff about what was going on a year ago today, which was our governor, Governor Bashir, um, closed our, our long-term care communities to visitation a year ago today. Um, he was actually before CMS, um, before CMS actually uh, um, initiated the closure. And then of course, yesterday, Brett knows this, and, and I'm sure you do too, Mark, but CMS released new guidance that will allow for um, some visitation. And um, so yeah, I'm feeling very hopeful. Brett, how are things in Iowa? Very, very similar. We are um, in a in a the same boat. This is actually the the one year anniversary of the day, the hardest call of my career, which was our, our association um, uh, advised our members a year ago today uh, to 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 shut down. Uh, shortly, obviously, before CMS did that, and um, you know we're also about three hundred and fifty five days out from our first COVID case in a in a nursing home in in Iowa. So. Uh, there's some reflection going on, uh, but the the road ahead is it, it's it's an optimistic one. It's also, you know, one that's that's fraught with new new challenges. I think we can be reasonably confident that the the you know short of a a, a unlikely scenario where we get a a really really troubling variant, I think that the clinical side of COVID is from a challenge standpoint is uh, is now starting to be trumped by the business challenges that our, our members are now going to be facing for the next three, four, five years as they recover from uh, from this, uh, particularly as it relates to occupancy. Uh, you know, in, in Iowa, our occupancy uh, is down roughly 30% year on year. And in a typical year, you know, our, our sector is used to seeing a fluctuation of a percent to a percent and a half of occupancy. So this is obviously 30-fold that kind of challenge. And um, it'll be uh, it, it's nice to have a new challenge, but I don't think it's any less pronounced than, than what COVID uh, represents. Fortunately, this is not life or death business, uh, but in a rural state like Iowa, uh, we're very concerned about maintaining access to, to care. So that, that's what's next for us. But 
what's what what's what's so wonderful as Betsy alluded to is that we now have a a, a clean path toward family uh, reunification, and it, which is something that's just been breaking the hearts of our our staff members for a long, long time. I agree a hundred percent. I think you hit on, you know, some pretty key things with, you know, visitation and occupancy. Um, you know, if you layer in the vaccine and the success and the traction that uh, we're seeing with the vaccine, I mean, is that really, I mean, at a basic level, is that kind of the formula for uh, facilities to succeed and kind of that census growth um, as we move forward? I think I think it's several fold. I mean, when we when we think about what we call our, our rebound strategy at, at our association, um, it's it's four or five fold. So you know we we have to get the clinical side of this right. We have to ensure that uh, we maintain ongoing access to, to to vaccinations. That we reinvest in uh, infection control uh, practices uh, and and find ways to resource that. Uh, we also have to uh, rethink the way that we conduct reimbursement in our state. We have to think about the way that we, uh, we regulate infection control uh, and, and prevention. And, and also, and I don't think any less important, um, how we communicate about our, our sector to the public at large, because uh, fair or not, we're, we're facing a crisis of confidence uh, across the state and across the country. Uh, given what everybody's been through, so we have to we have to find find ways to to reconnect with the public on this. Betsy, I know on a previous call that I had with Governor Parkinson, uh, he said one of the key benchmarks uh, related to occupancy is if the sector could rebound at the rate of about one percent per month through twenty twenty one. Do you think where we're at with the vaccine and and some guidance on visitation is that? Uh, a metric that you think is obtainable? Yeah, I heard him say the exact same thing on a, he spoke at the American Health Lawyers Long-Term Care at the conference uh, seminar that I attended a week ago and he said the exact same thing, Mark. Um, he also described 2020 as a clinical crisis for the sector in 2021. He anticipates to be a business crisis for the sector. Um, so yeah, improving our occupancy. Um, I don't think ours has been a significant decline as what Brent's um, describing in Iowa, but you know we've always had pretty strong occupancy because we have a fairly um, robust CON law here in Kentucky. So um, even dipping to the low 70s is very, very concerning for us. Um, I think it is doable. I think Brent's right. I think we need to kind of uh, change a narrative and, and the perception of, of, of long-term care. And, and that's across the continuum. I mean, it's in skilled nursing facilities. It's in uh, what we have here uh, in Kentucky, Brent is personal care, which is kind of between um, skilled and assisted living and just, you know, start re-engaging. I, I know at the very beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of chatter about how there's a spotlight on the sector for the very first time. And although it made us uncomfortable, I think it's it's important that we keep that spotlight on us so we can start talking about um, you know the great things we do, but how we can improve. And I know that's something that the American Healthcare Association actually I think he's going to be speaking. Uh, we're going to be hearing something about that later today, Brent. Are we at five thirty um, Eastern time? So um, I think American Healthcare gets it, and uh, hopefully we'll pro uh, provide guidance for. 
for all of us across the country on on how to get that done. It wouldn't be a conversation if we didn't talk a little bit about COVID and, and the vaccine. Obviously, we're through the, the initial one, two, three uh, sets of clinics, uh, at least on the skilled side. Do you each have a comfort level with the phase two plans in your states? Because it seems like there's a level of uncertainty as we sit here today and a little bit of a risk by not having a plan in place that we're going to create a gap that was solved by completing the first three clinics if we don't get uh, some action. So is that, where is that on your level of concerns right now? I'm very concerned to tell you the truth. I mean, uh, you know, we got a call, a couple of calls from reporters yesterday about the CMS guidance and, and opening up for, for visitation. And I made sure I informed these reporters about um, Kentucky's plan to continue uh, vaccinating our elders and our staff because, you know, Mark, I know you've been on the ground here in Kentucky fighting this issue since the get-go. And um, unfortunately, there's just no plan to get the vaccine for those long-term care pharmacies that don't have a physical location in Kentucky. Um, you know, we're very fortunate to have PCA headquartered in, in Louisville. And so hopefully you all will be um, helping out with that initiative. But I've gotten several calls from um, members who utilize pharmacies that are headquartered in Nashville or Chicago or elsewhere. And the cabinets made it very clear that they will not be releasing any vaccine. And we're using Johnson & Johnson here in Kentucky um, to, you know, because they're afraid of that it'll go to waste because it, to be able to get it to them and then get it back in Kentucky, there's no physical location to receive the vaccine. And, and so there's a gap for some of our members. Um, you know, some of them will be cared, you know, taken care of those who are, you know, use, utilize PCA or, or others, but um, there's a, a significant amount of our membership that doesn't currently have a plan um, to support vaccinating their staff and residents going forward. Uh, similar concerns here in, in Iowa. Um, we are struggling uh, with a myriad of issues. Uh, access to Johnson & Johnson for us because of the population density of our state is, is less. Uh, and so we're, we're uh, uh, working through that process with the state. But I, the, the role of long-term care pharmacies like PCA uh, will have is has absolutely never been more important to state the obvious because I think it's miraculous. I think we're incredibly we're incredibly fortunate that the federal uh, program, uh, the 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 first the the one time rollout program was effective as effective as it was. I do not think that we should expect uh, lightning to strike twice and for the government to pull this off again. Uh, and, and so this is really, really going to be need to be driven by the private sector, long-term care pharmacies. Now you guys have to have access to the product, mm -hmm. which is where the government steps in here. Uh, but, uh, depending on them to manage the logistics of this, uh, I think it's probably a fool's errand. So we're, we're, it, it is the, you asked Mark, you know, what our level of concern is. It's our top priority. It's our top concern, mm -hmm. uh, because, there's one way to guarantee that we go backwards, and it's if we deny vaccinations to new admits and, and new staff members. I agree, and I can tell you that you know we're on calls daily uh, from the pharmacy side, you know, through 
different states and, and people responsibility within the supply chain. And, you know, our thought process is, you know, we obviously have a wonderful customer base that, you know, entrusts us to service their facilities, but, you know, this is an area where customer or not, competitor or not, we all need to be pulling in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of our commitment to the states uh, that we deal with, that we're communicating with. And, you know, as much as I'd like for this to be a commercial about PCA, you know, we're a founding member of the Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition. And um, that's the, the nationwide lobbying group for kind of independent pharmacies. And uh, there's a tremendous network out there of pharmacies like PCA that, you know, are willing to jump in and have the ability to help. Um, again, I think just uh, some alignment between you know, the pharmacies and, and the people that control the vaccine supply. Uh, but we need to get it figured out pretty quick and, and get some stuff engaged. So, right. Um, okay. How are one of the, the, I guess I'll say surprising things, but uh, it's gotten significantly better, I think. But were you all taken aback by kind of the staff occupancy when the vaccine initially rolled out? And then ultimately through today, are you seeing that? Uh, uptick to levels that you're um, happy with? I don't know if surprise is the right word, um, but, um, you know, it's a very complex public health issue, I think, with regard to I mean, the fact that we have a lot of people of color working in skilled nursing facilities and, um, you know, lower wage earners. Um, you know, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of concern. I think going forward, I think that's uh, should be a mission of our public health departments to get out fact-based fact uh, information about vaccines and how important they are because, you know, we're going to be dealing with the flu um, ongoing as well. And so uh, I don't think it was a surprise. Uh, what happened here in Kentucky was that, you know, they were seeing as the clinics, as the Walgreens and CVS long-term care um, partnership uh, program was rolled out, there was... Um, you know, a significant amount of staff, unfortunately, that did not want to get the first dose at the first clinic. But by the time the third clinic came around, um, more people were on board, right? So they were wanting to, to get it because they saw their, their coworkers and their friends um, and their residents receive the vaccine at the first and second clinic. And so by the third, they wanted to uh, have their vaccine. But unfortunately, there was no plan in Kentucky to do that. Although the cabinet told us, um, yes, if they can get the, the, the uh, first dose of the uh, vaccine, because we all know that both the, the, the Pfizer, um, um, uh, Pfizer vaccine requires two doses. Um, so even those facilities of ours who, who told Walgreens or CVS, you know, go ahead and vaccinate this staff person who wants their first one we can get the Pfizer vaccine from the local health department or a local health uh, hospital. Um, from everything I heard, Walgreens and CVS refused. And I understand that there's probably a lot of uh, reasons that they did that and I'm not passing judgment on that, but I I'm afraid there were some opportunities missed because nobody had a plan for that ongoing. So, um, I mean, I know I heard from one member who said, you know, Betsy, I did an in-service and I have 18 staff people who are ready to get vaccinated at a third clinic and their pharmacy provider said, no, we're not gonna do that. So um, it's unfortunate. I mean, I've heard this, that we're all like building a plane as we're flying it. So I'm, I don't know why that wasn't thought through, but it wasn't. And I think we had some missed opportunity there. 
I yeah, think a lot well, of us. I, Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, to extend on, on uh, Betsy's analogy, I mean, the, the, the old phrase is you build the plane. When you build the plane, you also build the, the plane crash. And, and I think that there's a gigantic missed opportunity that there was no continuity plan on the other side of the third clinic. Uh, we had the very same similar experience in Iowa. I, I think that um, we the the numbers are where where we expected them to be, not where we want them to be. Um, I, I think that we all need to to you know in in the general public, which is which is in some space is really outraged about the uptake of, of staff vaccinations. Um, we need to take a beat and, and acknowledge that healthcare workers are the first people in the world who we asked to take this vaccine. And, and so that they took a little bit of extra time and uh, to do their homework and, uh, and, and quite frankly, look across the, the, the nurses station and see how their colleague was doing uh, is, is understandable. We should have anticipated that. Uh, and now we're left with, with in Iowa, uh, we were a little bit higher than national average, not a lot. I've still got three out of 10 uh, staff members who are unvaccinated because they chose not to. And, and I'd, I'd wager to guess that 30 to 30 to 50% of them would take it today if we could get them one. Well, wasn't there some science be, I mean, behind the initial numbers being low where facility operators, to your point, Brent, where it's new, nobody had really taken this given the staff, the importance of staffing today, you may not wanted everybody to take it at that first clinic in case there was a negative effect or something like that. You had to ensure that you had coverage. So was there a science behind spacing out the staff vaccinations across the three clinics? And when numbers st started coming out, it, it was almost like a false positive that didn't really showcase that? We did have some members who, who actively uh, manage the load, managed the, the distribution of the vaccine. Um, but I don't think that that affected the ultimate uptake numbers because they load managed it across the first and the second clinics. So they may have put some of their first doses on second and then got their second dose on third. Uh, so I, I think that strategy, it, I didn't see it particularly widespread. And then it really just stopped happening after there was virtually no adverse reactions, thankfully. Uh, as well. I, I think that that really what we're dealing with is we've got uh, a baked in segment of the of the population um, that just isn't going to take the vaccine. And, and we need to we need to understand that. And at some point, we need to understand that we're pushing on a rope with some of those those folks. And we're going to have to understand how we protect them, how we can ensure that they can continue to work in our centers, how we can protect them and how we can protect our residents, um, given their their uh, vaccination status, uh, which is you know, a new challenge. Well, I know you both are pretty prolific on social media. Um, we had talked a little bit about uh, the visitation. Betsy, you had something out there with uh, kind of urging patients uh, based on the latest CMS guidelines. Um, do you feel like there's more to come to that from that or education that can be done? So, yeah, so what happened here, you know, it would be nice if we got some warning that CMS was going to be issuing this. I mean, we all knew it was coming, but so um, what happened here in Kentucky is that our emergency preparedness um, folks just did, a, as soon as they got it, they just did an email blast to all our skilled nursing facilities. And of course, you know how this works, Mark, you know, then the membership starts calling you like, what, why don't you know about this, Betsy? And so 
we're like, we did know about it. Literally, like, I, I got the email. Um, the, the inspector general texted me and said, let's see, it's been really, and I was, but, you know, what we do as associations is we look at the material so we can educate our membership. We don't just, you know, let them figure it out on their own. So based on that, there was a lot of um, concern or some concern from some members about, okay, this has been released and now families are gonna start calling and saying, we wanna to come tonight. We, we wanna, you know, and these things take a process, you know, process and planning and, um, we were also working with the cabinet, um, you know, our, our cabinet for health and family services to come up with some specific, uh, uh guidance for, for Kentucky. And, um, so we asked them if they would put in there when they released that and, and the, the governor might announce it tonight, I'm not sure, um, that it's effective on Monday. So we'll kind of give, um, our skilled nursing facility here in Kentucky the opportunity to kind of you know, figure out the landscape, figure out because um, there are things that are going to have to change and all this takes staffing and planning. Um, so that's why I urge patients because again, there are family members who are just really wanting to come in the door, but uh, we need to make sure that we don't do anything that's going to put us backward and that we're continuing to keep uh, both our residents and our staff, our staff safe going forward. Yeah, I, I would just say that Look, I mean, number, I, I applaud CMS for taking this, what is a very obvious step, I think, to most of us uh, in the understanding the, the efficacy of this vaccine, how well it's been uh, performing. Uh, case counts in Iowa, and I'm sure similar in Kentucky, are off 90% since Christmas. Uh, it has everything to do with the vaccine. So applaud them for doing what was obvious. I think it was, you know, there's a, significant number of problems inside this guidance is mainly based on, on, on what it does not address. I, and for example, it's, it's, it, it's shocking to me that they did not take the opportunity to address communal dining in this document. So now we're, uh, that's one example, but now we're inviting family members to come in, hang out in the room and, and have a hug, uh, but we, we can't uh, conduct communal dining or, acti or, or activities. Uh, so this seems a bit hapdash. I expect there will be more coming, but it's created, you know, it's classic. It's created more questions than answers uh, just since it's, it's come out. And we're going to need CMS and CDC to get in alignment and uh, produce quite a bit more guidance pretty quickly because there's a lot of confusion out there. I agree completely. I mean, the, the guidance clearly came from a standpoint of open up, just open up and then monitor and pull back if you have to, but, it, and the state guidance that they were working on last week was more open up slowly, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. so yeah. And so now we have, of course, we haven't seen the final document from the state. We're afraid that they're, they're going to, one's going to be much more restrictive, the state than the CMS. And that puts the skilled nursing facility uh, in between um, you know, maybe potentially at odds with family members who are like, no, it says this. So um, hopefully we'll see some more clarity going forward. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot harder to, to explain to a family member what, what isn't in a document than what is. And unfortunately, what's not in that document is, is fundamental to uh, the, the uh, lifestyle and the quality of life 
that we're trying to improve with these these residents. Well, and I think it's it's understandable from the family member's perspective. You know, yep. they see this headline come across and they think the doors are going to be open. And it's just a message that, like you said, creates more more questions and answers. Um, Brent, you had a cool comment out there earlier today about how the industry bent, but it didn't break. Um, yep. You both represent just tremendous members in each of your states. I mean, you must be incredibly proud of what they've done over the last 12 some odd months. Yeah, I can't explain it. Uh, the, the the staff members, providers, um, anyone involved in long-term care over the last year had every every historic excuse to lay down and give up and say this is too hard and there's there's an easier way to make a living, quite frankly. And I'm talking about our staff, and they didn't do that. Our staff turnover rates declined by 15% in Iowa in 2020. Uh, where in, you know, in, in, and I think that's fairly consistent in, around most of the country, which makes our, you know, to be patriotic, that makes our country fairly unique in that we you know we saw, unfortunately, you know, tragic examples in other parts of the world where uh, nursing staff walked off the job, left these residents to die, absolutely break your heart. That did not happen here. Uh, and so I, I just stand in awe of, of the people who work in long-term care. I thought I did before, but um, that's been, uh, you know, that's been completely uh, vaporized by what we saw in 2020 and the way these people perform. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of them too. I'm not sure, you know, Brent's interesting. You all are able to, uh, to track what your um, turnover rate has been in, in long-term care. We have not been able to get really good numbers. We did a survey early in the pandemic to get um, some idea and you know people were leaving because of fear people were leaving because of um, lack of access to child care because the governor did close down our child care facilities and, and other issues um, but it's also interesting uh, because we implemented a uh, temporary nurse aid path like I'm sure uh, you all did too uh, Brent and um, I would tell you that my phone's ringing a lot just from people who you know call our office and then they get my number and they're wanting to know how to become a certified nurse aide. And that has never happened in the seven years I've been at the association. So again, I think because we've been in the news so much and I think people know about these opportunities and we've been talking about it, um, hopefully there's a new interest in people and in, in seeing this and we're gonna get some legislation through that will allow these temporary, we're calling them personal care assistants here in Kentucky. Um, a representative Kim Moser in Kentucky sponsored some legislation that will allow those people to easily transition as certified nurse aides in Kentucky. So um, I think that's a positive and they, they really are the heroes. I mean, they really truly are the healthcare heroes. Well, wrapping up, you know, I certainly appreciate your time. You two are both, you know, some of my favorite people in this industry. I always enjoy when we have a chance to catch up. And I'll also say, you know, over the last year, you both have been on the front end of this advocating um, at every opportunity on behalf of the industry. I know uh, members in each of your states are extremely fortunate to have you represent them. Um, so again, just on behalf of all of us at PCA, we wanna say thank you uh, for all that you do and certainly taking the time to, uh, to visit and catch up. So, um, Hopefully the next time we can like do it in person and not, not on a Zoom account um, and uh, get back to another step towards normalcy. Yeah. I echo Mark 
in his thanks to Betsy and Brett. We appreciate them taking time out of their busy schedules to sit down and talk to him via Zoom yesterday. It's interesting to hear about their perspective on this year looking in that rearview mirror. I'm sure their experiences in both Kentucky and Iowa are very similar to others across the country. It's also interesting to hear about where we are at this minute and also their predictions of what's to come and what it's going to take to move forward. And with that, we'll wrap up our first podcast. Thank you for joining us for Let's Talk About LTC with PCA Pharmacy. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. We're creating this series with a listener in mind. If there are any topics or guests you wish to be considered for inclusion or questions, please send them to our team at education at pcapharmacy.com. And please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, take care.